building wealth is kind of trying to solve the problem. How can I get outsized returns and beat what the market's doing? How can I be more efficient with my existing portfolio? How can I add more velocity to my portfolio? How can I create multiple streams of income to reduce my risk? Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great to us listeners, if you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial cap and gain taxes. One option that may help solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange. Because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes, and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches involved with being an active landlord. Ray DeWitt is a managing director with Bantanger Financial Services, and his goal is to help you understand all the rules associated with the 1031 exchanges. To learn more, visit their website at bantangerfinancial.com and browse the library of education material. Please be sure to see the disclosures and show notes. Welcome back, Migrate to Wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to Dave Walcott, CEO of Pantheon Investments. Dave and I have been in similar circles for a while now, although we haven't had a whole lot of time to catch up. So we're just catching up offline. Our interests are pretty well aligned. Uh, His story is going to be amazing. I think the way I want to think about his story, for you to give a lens of how to think about this discussion, what to extract from it, is really going to be around somebody who has transitioned. He's also a fellow techie. so He comes from the tech world. So I always have a soft spot for anyone who's from that world. It's really how he made his jump out of the tech predominantly as a limited partner which is essentially mean he wanted to invest his capital so that his capital can work for him. And everything he has done from that point onwards is to help that goal, help more and more people invest passively along with him. That's really what I wanted to take that angle from somebody who was running a tech consulting firm to now having a 100% investor mindset, but he's also using his experience as a businessman to make sure that he can skill that aspect as well of how many people he can help. So we'll go through the journey with Dave, and hopefully you can preserve that lens and how to think about this interview. Dave, my friend, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, awesome, Saket. Really grateful to be here to connect with you and your audience. Awesome. So Dave, we're going to start with one question, man. Tell me what does the name Migrate to Wealth mean to you? Yeah, for me, the phrase really migrate to wealth is all about transitioning to this, I would call it an alternative strategy outside of Wall Street that really can protect and grow your wealth like the ultra wealthy do, like the top 1% are doing, right? So it requires a different set of advisors. It requires a different set of relationships. It requires a different set of thinking, and it requires a different set of investment opportunities. I love that. And that's really where it's kind of, I always like to hear that answer because I don't know what people are thinking when the name comes up to them, right? So it's really migrating from any of your current reality to anywhere you want to go in the future. A lot of the aspects that you talked about. With that perspective, tell us your migration journey. Dave, give us a glimpse into who you were, how you got started, and kind of like, how did you enter into this world of investments? Give us a little bit brief overview of what that journey looks like. Yeah, sure. So I was raised in a middle-class family in Connecticut, 
and was always brought up with good values, good ethics. And I was told that the recipe for success was to go to school, get good grades, you're going to get a job and life would just yeah. work out. So I kind of followed down that path. I went to university in DC and then did the ROTC program and got into the Marine Corps. And in the Marines, had phenomenal experience, really got to travel the world, see a lot of things. Uh, become combat tested, work with different people, but also learn things that they don't really teach anywhere else in the world, things such as teamwork, integrity, and leadership. So after the Marine Corps, I then transitioned into the tech industry and at the time became really quickly frustrated and dismayed, right? We didn't have that same sense of purpose or that same sense of mission that was so important and really drove you, right, in the Marines and being able to serve your country. So I got a little bit frustrated there pretty quickly working in the corporate machine. And then at the same time, Saket, my wife and I started raising a family. We had an 18-month-old running around at the time. And then on October 24th, 2000, we actually had triplets. We literally quadrupled the size of our family overnight. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. And it still is to this day. If anyone out there has younger ones, you know, you can imagine just multiply all the things you were going through. And so the first thing that I did, Saket, was I went to talk to my financial planner because I was burdened with how am I going to now provide financial security when I thought we might have one child, but four, I mean, this is huge, right? And he told me what every other one told me, right? Which is just max out your 401k. Oh, you've got kids. We could just put money in 529 plans, right? And so it became really apparent to me that the ultra wealthy were not building their wealth as a retail investor in the stock market right? So the entrepreneur in me really took charge of trying to solve this problem of how are the top 1% building and preserving wealth, right? So this kind of launched me on this full journey. And keep in mind, this is in 2000 before there were awesome podcasts like this and all these kind of resources. Rich Dad, Poor Dad had just come out, I think a year earlier. So I really kind of then took that forward in the cash, you know, looking at the cash flow quadrant and really making a concerted effort to become a business owner as well as an investor on the right-hand side of Kiyosaki's quadrant, which I know your listeners are familiar with. (laughs) So fast forward 20 years from then, I had actually invested in all kinds of asset classes, everything from oil and gas to retail, to raw land, to single family, to multifamily. I also, as a business owner, learned a lot about scaling a business. I learned a lot about taxes right? And learned a lot about mindset as well. So you fast forward today and really the encapsulation of all those learnings and that journey is in my book called The Holistic Wealth Strategy, which is a five-phased approach to really building legacy wealth and creating unlimited freedom in your life. I want to go back. I don't want to miss that point about what are those five phases of wealth? And then we'll go back to your story. Yeah. So the five phases summarize really quickly, right? Like there's some in-depth parts. So the first is that the entire strategy is underpinned by creating a vision for yourself. Sadly, most people just don't have enough time, spend enough time with their families creating a vision. And if you don't have a target, you're going to miss every time. So creating a crystal clear vision statement for yourself and your family is super important. That's the key underlying point. And then when you move into phase one, it's actually all about mindset, 
you want to be able to have a mindset that you get rid of some of those limiting beliefs that you have. You know, yeah. you think with an abundance mindset. You're creating goals and habits to support your vision, right? You're surrounding yourself with people that are going to take you to the next level, you know, yeah. versus the opposite. So having a mindset is really key. The second phase mm. we move into is actually increasing your IQ. And we have a little formula saquet, which is your net worth is equal your financial IQ plus your mindset IQ, plus your relationship capital, plus your physical capital, mm, right? So when you that. can put all of those dimensions into place, it's amazing how much you can really, truly accelerate your wealth. So we mm -hmm. talk about increasing our IQ in phase two. In phase three, it's all about building an infrastructure to grow your wealth, mitigate your taxes, right? Because taxes are absolutely your biggest wealth destroyer that are out there. We also are proponents of the infinite banking concept where you can warehouse your capital and create more velocity with your existing portfolio. And then also, you know, it's all about preserving your wealth, right? Because you don't want to lose it, what you've worked so hard for. So what type of asset protection strategies and things do you have in place? Then we jump into phase four, all about asset repositioning. So most people have the majority of their portfolio tied up in 401k or qualified government plans, or they have it locked up as trapped equity in their primary residence, right? Yeah. So how can you reposition some of those assets to move them into assets that are more tax efficient, creating more cash flow, right? And are really going to grow your wealth. And then the last phase is all about taking action and creating massive passive income with multiple passive income streams through different private equity opportunities, different alternative assets that you can look at outside of the Wall Street casino. Dave, this is so amazing framework. Thank you. Let's repeat that. I'm going to repeat that for you. Tell me if I captured it correctly. And okay. I'm definitely not going to speak as eloquently as you on that because it's your framework. But I do want to make my twist on that. So I think the first and foremost, before you even look at what are the five phases of wealth, you need to start with your vision statement. And I don't want to complicate the vision statement because of word vision statement, mission, vision. I know companies are paying millions of dollars to consultants to help them draft it. It doesn't have to be that complicated, right? Is what, what do you want your life to be? What do you and your spouse, if you have one, or what do you and your family, where do you see your life to be in the next 20, 30, 40 years? Pick a time frame, doesn't matter. All of this is fluid to begin with, right? So you can you come back and revisit if you think that your vision was incorrect. You can come back and revisit. A lot of these things are changeable. Don't get caught up when I need to hire a consultant to help you define the mission vision. Trust me, I've done for corporates mission vision statements a lot, and I've spent a lot of money on consultants. You don't need to do that. Yeah. That's not the goal for that. Once you have the vision clarity of where you want to go, that's when it all starts. Right? I think you need to make sure to have to get to where I want to get to from where you are today. The first thing you need to figure out is who do I need to become in my head? Not physically, not saying what friends you want to have, nothing. We're taking simple changes. What in my mind is not serving me well today for that goal? You're not passing judgment, and I'm being very careful in picking those words. You're not saying you suck and you need to be a different person. That's not the goal. The goal is today the network that I have is potentially not going to get me to the vision I need to have. So I need to expand my network, not change my network. Different terminologies. 
if you start something with a negativity, especially in the mindset, it's going to take you down a drain of the world sucks, you suck, and you have to reinvent yourself. We're trying to make some baby steps, right? Get your mindset in alignment. And the next thing is really around, I need to increase my IQ from wherever I am today to the next level. And I love your IQ definition. It's not just about your financial IQ, but it's a combination of multiple different, including your physical health, your mental health, your relationship health, and your financial health. You need to make sure your IQ is getting there what needs to be to make you a wealthy person, which is very holistic, which I love, because wealth is not just about money. It's about everything else around you. So if you have the IQ, now you'd want to set up the infrastructure to get you to point B, from A to B. And it's kind of like laying a road, right? Laying a road is one thing. Would you go by a train? Would you go by a ship? Would you go by a car? Would you go by a bike? All of those questions you have to first figure out the infrastructure of how are you going to put it all together, including your taxes, including your asset protection, including all different elements that you need to build. And we were talking about infinite banking, and I would encourage you to go back to listeners to go back to some of the previous shows, go to migrate2wealth.com episodes. You'll be able to search for infinite banking, be your own bank concept. So you'll get more details on that. Then we're talking about, okay, I got all this stuff ready. I don't have the money, right? But Dave and Saket, I need to get the money. We're not saying you need to get the money. We need to figure out is, what do you have today, including your primary home, including your 401k, including your IRAs? We need to make a good inventory of what all you have today to figure out if you need to go to plan B, maybe you need to stick to the same plan and you'll get to your plan B. Maybe. I don't want to, unless we know you, everyone's situation is unique. Maybe you can be there. Most of us won't get there by not changing a few things. That's where the asset repositioning comes in that can we take a portion of your portfolio and change the allocation of that to a different asset class, to a different investment style that can help you in an accelerated manner get to point B. And last but not the least is, all of the above you have done is a mental exercise, is a paper exercise, right? But now what we're saying is the last step is massive action because you have to be able to get in the game. If you're not taking that massive action, you've done a lot of work, which is all good. But if you don't go invest in a deal, in an opportunity, you're not going to create a passive income, period. No matter how good your mindset is, no matter how good your vision is, no matter how robust your infrastructure is, and no matter how many repositioning assets thought you have had, you need to take the action. And it's probably an iterative process. I don't think it's a sequential process. And David, I'd love to get your perspective on that. It's really, you get to point F or point phase five, and then you're like, you know what? I need to change my vision a little bit more. Now I know more about investing than I knew two years ago. So I need to change my vision. I think I can expand it to, Maybe your goal was to retire at 45. Oh, but I think I can really retire at 35. You know, I thought I could have a million dollars, but now I realize I could actually have 20 million. I'm making these numbers up. Everyone's number is going to be different. Everyone's vision is going to be different. So Dave, I just repeated what you said in a very different way. I would love to hear your perspective. How did I do in capturing your thought? Did I do justice to it? Did I completely butcher it? Give me some thoughts. 
Saket, you got an A. It sounds like you read the book. You did a great job kind of describing that. Every one of these phases, you can really unpack and start to get really granular. And the other part about it, again, kind of coming from tech, or I would say more of a consultative background, right? Which is, Mm -hmm. I see building wealth as like, again, kind of trying to solve the problem. How can I get outsized returns and beat what the market's doing? How can I pay less in taxes? How can I be more efficient with my existing portfolio? How can I add more velocity to my portfolio, right? How can I create multiple streams of income to reduce my risk? So when you kind of think about all these things and then figure out what's most important to you at a certain point in time, that's what you can focus on. But having this framework is like a guiding framework so that you can actually start at a different level. I mean, you could go invest in your first deal even though you haven't done phase one or phase two, but you're going to realize that, you know, hey, these other steps are very important along the journey. So wherever you are, whether your net worth is a million or it's 10 million, this is flexible enough to really be able to expand and grow with you. I love that. So you had the conversation with your financial planner, right? It kind of changed the direction after coming back from that conversation. You definitely didn't get the answers you were looking for. You got some answers, but probably not that. That's what got you into this path. Yeah, so think about it, Saket, right? Just to add some color to that, right? I encourage people to really do some deep thinking on some of these Mm -hmm. things. So for instance, they talk about deferring your taxes, okay, until retirement and putting all your money in qualified plans. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but the one thing I could probably predict taxes are going to go up in the future. Definitely. So wouldn't you rather pay taxes on the seed rather than the harvest, right? It makes so much more sense to pay your taxes now if you're going to pay them or better yet, you offset them, right? So I was really debunking certain things that the financial services industry is putting out there. So deferring your taxes is one thing, right? There's also this entire philosophy around accumulation theory. So they advocate that you build up this nest egg for retirement. And then every year you're going to take 4% and live on that until you die at whatever age they have modeled out. Okay. So why would you spend your whole life feeding your golden goose and then start to kill it every year? Right. Whereas if you go into this passive income theory, you're actually getting cash flow. And I'll give you like a really great, clear example for listeners out there if they're not familiar with this. So let's just take someone who went the traditional route and took 4 million. They saved up 4 million and by age 65 and thought, hey, that's not bad. If I lived on 4% of that, you've got now 160K, right? You're living on 160K. Probably your advisor hasn't really talked much about taxes, fees, and inflation, Mm -hmm. So that 160K might be more like 110K. And you might be a little surprised at age 65 that you saved 4 million and now you're living on 110K. So now let's compare that against the model passive income theory, which is Mm -hmm. take the same 4 million at call it age 65 and you're taking 8%, an average of 8% cash flow on that portfolio. So now you've actually doubled the amount of income you have. So now it's 320K. Yeah. And by the way, you're doing it through 
real estate and other tax efficient vehicles, right? So you're paying the least amount of taxes mm -hmm. on that income. And oh, by the way, your golden goose keeps growing. The equity keeps right. growing in your portfolio. So you actually get raises throughout your later years. And this is how you can create legacy wealth and actually not destroy your entire amount that you've saved up, but you can actually now give it to your heirs. I love that, right? I think it's so important to think about this way. And let's go deeper into one thought, right? So I don't want people to walk away from the feeling that financial advisors are liars. They're not, right? So they're not, but they're telling you what they have been trained to tell you. They're telling you what Wall Street has trained. Most financial advisors are sales professionals. You have to understand that. They're not planners by any stretch of imagination, right? Their goal is to sell you a financial product. And the only way they can sell you a financial product, it could be a stock, it could be your annuity, it could be anything they want to sell you, right? There is a financial benefit that they have, and they make money on the asset that you have deployed with them. So if let's say you have a $4 million of net worth, and all of that $4 million is invested in real estate, they're not invested in the stock market, they're more than likely most of the financial advisors are going to run away from you. Unless they're on a fixed fee model, which most of them are not, they're going to say, I'm not going to make any percentage on the money that I'm not managing. So why am I going to talk to you? Because I need to make money on you as a client. And the only way they make money is to put the money into stock market. And if they tell you that 4% law, it's not wrong. It's better than no plan. But is it the most optimal plan for you that's available? If, if you ask, I would recommend you ask that question to your invest, to your financial advisors, and I have, so that's what I'm asking you, where do you keep most of your money? How do you invest? And I was not surprised by the answer. The answer that one of the person who gave, one of my advisors gave me is, I buy commercial properties. I'm like, so why am I putting my money with you? Let's make his name is John. I'm like, John, why am I giving you my money? Why I can't just buy commercial properties for me and you can help me buy it. He's like, well, you know what? Not everyone can buy commercial properties, so it's not a solution for everyone. Until we talked about that, you don't even ask me, do you want to do that? You just assume I don't have the capability. Although my entire portfolio, 80 to 90% of my portfolio is real estate heavy. So if you start thinking about that, just that one question gave me a lot of insight into how are they making money? And if they stop making money as an advisor today, what's going to be their passive income source? Yes, yeah, Sukhet, you're spot on, right? You have to understand people's agendas and motivation. And most financial plan, a lot of financial advisors are not even accredited investors, right? No, so they not. haven't right. even figured out how to build wealth. But I can share something with you specifically. Like I said, I've been studying the top 1% and how they build their wealth. Actually, it was two weeks ago, I sat down with Michael Sonnenfeld, the CEO of Tiger 21, which is a group of ultra wealthy entrepreneurs, individuals that have over 100 million in average yeah. net worth between them, right? And the way they allocate capital is across a few different buckets, their exposure to stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you know, in the equities market is actually only 22%. Mm. And then they have a bucket that's real estate. 
They have a bucket that's private equity. And then there's, a call, of course, a substantial amount for liquidity and how you manage your liquidity. But only 22% in public equities versus what you know financial advisors are talking about with the 60-40 between stocks and bonds, Correct. it's completely different. And this is how they're accelerating their wealth and the wealthy become wealthier, right? The rich become richer. That's true. That's true. Tell me more about that. So I like that portfolio. I don't know if you remember the portfolio construction that in your conversation with the CEO of Tiger 21 was a 22% stock. Do you remember the portion on real estate, private equity and liquidity? 25% in real estate. It was about 25 to 27%, I think, in private equity. So that could be other assets. There was a solid 10 to 12% in cash or cash equivalents, which I would call the infinite banking, I think is a great place to warehouse that and why we're helping yeah. our clients with that as well. Because what that does is they say that they've got enough liquidity to get through a five-year period without mm -hmm. having to tap into assets. So that can completely right. get you through any economic cycle we might potentially have. Yeah, no, let's repeat those uh, numbers. If there were 22, and these are approximate numbers, I won't quote you on that, Dave, because I know you're going off of memory. So 22% stocks, about 25% real estate, close to 25% private equity, and the remaining 10 to 12% in liquidity. Uh, yeah, there's a, few, some numbers. there's a few other things like, you know, I think cryptocurrency, 1% to 3%, there's commodities and a few other things that make that up. The main point is that there's, you know, three key buckets yeah. of where they're investing. Yeah, when you talk to financial advisors, they're not talking about it in that structure. But let's think about it differently, though. They're not talking to people like you and I. If we go if walk into Fidelity Investments and ask them what give us financial advice, but if your net worth is a certain amount, which is a million usually, you'll get access to private placements, which is essentially private equity. There is a difference between how they are proposing you to look at your wealth versus not. And you don't, why, this million dollars is such an arbitrary number, right? You don't need to get there. There's a different way of looking at it. And if that's how the wealthy is making the wealth, why would you not start to reshape it? It's probably more than a million. I think it's like $5 million. I don't think it's a million dollars. I don't remember the cutoff. But they're now asking you to start looking at private equity and stuff like that. And you have a private wealth advisor. It's $5 million. And the other thing about that, right, is once you start to understand the industry and everything, when you're purchasing, even though you want to invest in real estate and you go through mm -hmm. a private placement through a larger institution, half of your profits in the return profile are eaten up by the infrastructure costs of right. that firm versus when you're doing some of these private syndications, right? That's why the returns look so compelling is because you've essentially, you're investing directly in Main Street and you've cut out Wall Street. Yeah. And that's a very important point, right? So we're not saying all syndications are not, all private placements are not created equally, right? So you have to look deeper into it. If it's coming from someone like a Dave or Socket, of course, by design, the overhead is going to be lesser than if it's coming from a major financial institution because they have more employees, they have more technology, they have more stuff to cover the cost. So their overhead is going to be higher. So it's going to take a dip into whatever profits you're making. The thing you have to ask is, is coming from Fidelity less risk than somewhere else? Probably not. I don't know what their due diligence process is. But can you ask the questions from the direct sponsor of the deal, lead sponsor of the deal? No, you can't. You're going to be working through Fidelity or Schwab or I'm making Fidelity as an example. 
So now you want to start looking at, can I get access to private placements outside of these institutions, at least as a comparison? If not, I would never say go invest in this syndicator you've never met or don't have a relationship with. I'm the first to say, don't do that. But how do you find those investors? How do you find those syndicators? So Dave, why don't you tell me? I have my own perspective on that. If somebody's starting out and they want to explore the world of private syndications, where can they find them? So great question, Saket. And frankly, this is one of the reasons that I created Pantheon, right? Mm-hmm. Because it can become a full-time job trying to find deals, uh, good operators, yeah. being able to vet them and to do due diligence. So what we do as part of our business model is we're constantly at you know conferences in different communities, certain mastermind groups, family offices, ultra high net worth kind of circles that we're creating long-term relationships with. And I can tell you, you know, our first step is all around alignment with values. You know, do we have the same values with a particular sponsor? Because if we don't have the same values, doesn't matter how good the deal is, we're not going to be able to work together because we're in this for the long term. So yeah. understanding those values, then taking a look at the track record and the niche that people are in before you get into all of the specifics, right? Because you want to invest in the jockey rather than the horse. Completely. And I would encourage that, right? People like Dave, myself, others, I would encourage you to start talking to us about your investment goals, start talking to us about what deals we have, what opportunities we have, because the only way to learn and dissect an opportunity is to look at them. No one's forcing your hand, no one's twisting your hand to go make your first investment or 10th investment in any deal. But if you don't look at them, you won't even know how to evaluate them. And the world's changing fast, right? From the last few years today, the interest rates have changed, it's going up, the capital markets are in turmoil. So what the strategy that worked two years ago is not going to work today. So something else is going to work. And you have to be plugged into that world. You have to make sure you're speaking with mentors. You're speaking with folks who are actively doing deals so that they can tell you what's working today. Their perspective doesn't mean it's the right perspective, but it's their perspective. And you should be talking to people like us to make sure that you have the right information at your hand to make a decision whenever you're ready. But you have to go seek that opportunity to at least be ready. You and I can talk at this. And I think both of us are super passionate about these topics. And I think both of us can probably talk at hours and back and forth. And I love this conversation, but I want to be respectful for your time here, Dave. So last few questions, right? So one is, what are the top three things an investor should look in a syndicator and in a private placement before they even evaluate to see if it's worth their time? Yeah. So the first thing, as I pointed out, would be values. Do you have alignment and values? This is how a lot of family offices are actually connecting, right? So looking at that from a value standpoint, do you have the right ethics, right? And that takes time, right? To build those relationships and understand what people are really made of. The second one I would probably say is the track record. You know, Mm -hmm. what type of track record does this sponsor have? How many assets under management do they have? How many successful exits have they had? Especially right now, how many cycles has the operator been through? A lot of people are new coming into this space and have not actually witnessed different economic cycles. I've been through 2000. I've been through 2008. So 
you see the world a little bit differently. So I think those are some really important ones. And then the third one, I would say, is what is the niche? Is there some type of competitive differentiation that a sponsor might have, whether it could be the market? They're in Nashville, Tennessee, and they know that market inside and out. They have relationships all of their projections, their assumptions are spot on because they've been operating there and they've done 20 deals in that market. Things like that. What is that niche or real competitive differentiation they might have? Awesome. Dave, with that note, man, thank you again for sharing a lot of the insights. We're coming towards the end of our interview, so we're going to ask our last two final questions. The first question is, looking back at such a great life, you've done a lot of different things, you've had a lot of downs, hopefully more ups and downs. If you look back at your life and you go back to your 20-year-old self, what's one insight you'll share with that person to make their path, their migration in life more intentional? Well, outside of reading my book on the holistic wealth strategy, right, and getting some clarity on that, the biggest piece of that, I would say, is understanding that you are your greatest asset. Right. So we're all investing and looking at different deals and what's the ROI on this? What's the Mm -hmm. ROI on that? But anytime I've invested in my health, my education, my relationships, I've gotten a 10x, sometimes a 100x return on that investment. So you are your greatest asset and know that and invest in that. Love that. Last question, buddy. Where do you feel humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the last, in the next few decades? Yeah, such a big question, Saket. And from my experience, and look, I'm 53 now, so I've seen a lot of different things. Like I said, I've been in combat. I've been to over 40 countries, I've built several businesses and things like that. And really in my book, I wanted to really kind of articulate this journey. And if you think back towards that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. Where at the base level, you know, people are looking for food, shelter, and water. And we're trying to achieve like this financial security there. So trying to achieve that financial security, but once you actually have that financial security, let's say you've created enough passive income in your life versus going towards that accumulation theory, you can really start to evolve. And I believe that it's this journey of self-actualization that gets you to being in a flow state, creating Mm -hmm. freedom in your life, starting to serve other people, and knowing that that's actually the biggest impact that you can make in creating impact for others. This business for me is all about a passion project. How many people can I help to learn about these different strategies so that they can improve their lives? And so when I think about humanity or the impact that we're trying to make and where humanity should go, I think the more evolved people can become on this self-actualization journey and, you know, look at some of the greats right at the top, you know, like Gandhi Mm -hmm. and some of the ones, you know, truly gotten there, but there's just an amazing amount of freedom there. And then I think it would reduce all of this geopolitical, uh, this bipolarization that we have across the world right now. It's actually a bit scary. Man, such a beautiful answer, Dave. Thank you for ending the show on such a high note. Dave, if somebody wants to learn more about what you do, get in touch with you, where can they find you, buddy? Yeah, for sure. So if you want to check out the book, we actually have some free resources. We have a 401k exit calculator, which is pretty cool to kind of model in repositioning some of your assets into alternatives. But you can go to our website, pantheoninvest.com forward slash wealth hyphen strategy. 
We'll make sure we include that link in the show notes below. Dave, once again, appreciate all the time and the effort you put into making sure the insights come out very crisp and clear, the book you wrote, the resource you've uh, developed. I definitely recommend folks to go check out Dave Walcott's website. You said Pantheon.com? Pantheoninvest.com. Pantheoninvest.com. With that note, thanks again. Take care, buddy. Thank you, Saket. Grateful for the opportunity. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.